What is going on, my friends of the podcasting realm? Thank you for tuning in to Casual Conversation with Will and Gary. This is episode number 33, and joining me and Gary on today's episode, we have Gary's grandfather, Mr. Sam Collins. Now, this was a special episode for me and Gary. Um, I've known Gary a long time, so I've known Mr. Sam for a long time, and um, he's just one of the most humble, genuine, um, just nicest human beings I've ever met, and it was a real honor to have him on the show, and um, we talk about quite a few things. We talk about um, World War II. We talk about the Great Depression, what it was like to grow up in the 40s and 50s, and you know, he sheds a lot of insight on what it was like um, back in the day and how, how times have changed. So it was a real eye-opener. It'll put things into perspective for you. Um, we had a great, a great time talking to him, and I'm glad he got to come on. So um, thanks for stopping by, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello, hello, you beautiful people. It is the Casual Conversation Podcast coming at you. What's going on, everybody? <clears throat> casual Conversation. Today, we, we have a uh, very special guest, a dude that I love very dearly. Uh, is actually my, my grandpa, Sammy Columns. Woo! Yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo. Yo, yo. <laughs> So, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're from, uh, some people in your life or whatever, and then uh, we'll talk about our weeks and, and get into this one. We're we're on a on a time limit on this one. My my grandpa of 86 years, fixing to be 87, and has to go play a gig. And got a show, He's baby. got a show tonight, <laughs> and he's got to uh, leave at 5.30, so um, just introduce yourself a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm Sammy Collins from B Branch. From B Branch, B, born, born and raised. Born and raised in, on the same lot where I live now. I, yeah. uh, they, <laughs> there they, you go. They tore the house down, but I uh, built a new house. But I still live in the same place. There you uh, go. And I've lived there all my life, off and on. I I lived down in the Morganton area at one time, and then unfortunately, I had to move back to B Branch and. <laughs> Why do you say unfortunately? Well, we went through a divorce. Oh yeah, that that's that, true. That is unfortunate. Good old Grandma yeah. Sue, rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, the way that we kind of like to start this one off, uh, or our podcasts off, Grandpa, uh, we just kind of talk about how our weeks went, and then we dive into who you are, some of the things you've done, experiences you've had. So, uh, Will, how was your week? Man, this week was pretty good. Um, what did I do this week? Um, last weekend, I went swimming for the first time of the year in heck, a pool. Heck yeah. I know. I was kind of excited. I've been pool party? No, it was just, uh, we just went swimming in uh, one of our friend's pools. But, dude, I was going hard, though. Like, I was literally swimming, like taking laps around the pool just because I was like, man, I haven't got to swim in a while. I had to stretch out the shoulders, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. I'm actually going swimming uh, at Goose Ferry for the first time tomorrow. Ooh. So I'm, I'm mega excited. We're going to go and jump off some bluffs and climb some rocks. Don't break your neck. Swim. Yeah. <laughs> the water's been a little high, so I'm going to like go down and make sure there's no trees floating around down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, other than that, man. Uh, I didn't do anything 
that last weekend just hanging out. It was one of those relaxing weekends, you know. Yeah. But then other than that, I was working. Just been hanging out, playing guitar, yeah. playing video games. The huge. The huge. <laughs> well, I've I relate. I'm still on my my 52 day escapade of working. Oh yeah, um, how many days in a row? I have think you it's gone like now? 23 days in a row right now, which which uh, exceeds my previous record of 22. Mm. So, mm. um, a little a little more than a month, and I'll be I'll be done with that that chapter of my life. And yeah. I'm, whew, love my job, love my team, but I'm ready to not be working this time much. for me to go. Yep, time for me to get <laughs> out of here, y'all. <laughs> But anyways, how was your week, Grandpa? It, it was fine. I, I I go walk every morning, and yeah. I walk inside at Greenbrier, and I do 2.2 miles every day, six days a week. Take it, take it off on the Sunday? You don't walk on Sunday? They're closed on Sunday, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the Sabbath, though, day of rest. Yeah. But I started walking in, in uh, September of 88. It's almost 31 years, and I've walk six days a week ever since and i i miss very few days yeah that's crazy and, and uh probably i i quit counting at thirty thousand miles i've walked thirty thousand thirty thousand i yeah. remember one time Golly. i remember one time we sat down and uh we like you know we gave him a few sick days or whatever but we calculated it and he's walked the circumference of the earth just in his walking yeah <laughs> it's uh, and that's not that's like you uh going out and walking not just you walking around too no i i i got planned walking yeah i walked uh outside for 25 years i guess 2013 was when i fell and hurt myself i pulled a hamstring and uh i had to i had to go through some therapy for three or four weeks with that hamstring and i started walking at Greenbrier. And I, I just, you know, I, I cut it down to three miles. So you were doing four before that? I was doing four, yeah. I was okay. doing, yeah. And I cut it down to three, and I fell in February of 18, I guess, and broke my shoulder. I do remember so, that. So I do I, remember that. I, uh, I, when I fell and broke my shoulder, I had to wear my arm in a sling for four weeks. And, but I, I missed, I, I walked some at home inside on a treadmill yeah and i realized that i could be walking back at greenbrier again yeah so i came back down here and then and, and i'd walk i'd walk on the inside with on the whole of the rail and after i got my slang off then i had about three or four weeks of therapy and it was all right here at mcmaster's in greenbrier yeah. And I'd take my therapy and I'd go over to uh, to the walking track and go ahead and walk and I I cut it down to 2 miles and and I've been walking 2 miles ever since I started back. And then I added just lately I added two more which made, I mean two not two more miles but two two tenths. Yeah. So I'm walking 2 miles and 2 tenths 6 days a week. 2.2. Okay. Yeah. So uh like what? What got you into doing that? Like, why did you start? Why did you decide to start walking? Like planning your walks. Well, I, I, I don't know. I guess I looked in the mirror and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting, picking up a little weight, and and I thought I need to get out and do something. So I started walking at Hendricks on their track, 
was open to the public, and I walked down there 16 laps, which was four miles. And I walked there for years, and uh, then they closed it, and then I went over to the Don Owen place there in Conway and walked there for a long time. And uh, then when they, I guess maybe to be, make it closer, I'd come, I'd come back to Greenbrier, and they had a, a new gym, and they opened the gym to people walking. And I walked upstairs in the gym up there for till they built the new walking track over behind, uh, I guess it's over behind Sonic's. And uh, I walked upstairs there, just, you know, it was a good place to walk. And But when I built a walking track at Greenbrier, I just started walking over there, and I've been walking there only on rainy days, and I still walked at home, but yeah, it you know it got in the winter time. It got where it's a lot of cold weather and bad weather and stuff, and and I just started coming to Greenbrier. So I've been walking here in Greenbrier ever since, about three or four years. Yeah, and so I mean, it's no no secret. Just looking at you and and hearing you talk with the the mental clarity that you do at eighty six years old. I mean. I would say that this walking has has done you pretty well as far as your health. Yeah, it's helped. I've, I've had some, I've had some accidents, but I always overcame them, you know. And, yeah. And uh, survived, so I'm still going. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make you feel better whenever, like, oh yeah, like if you if you ever have to miss a day, does it make you feel weird that you didn't get to walk that day? I don't miss many days. I That's had. That's true. <laughs> I had a tooth pull last Wednesday afternoon, and I asked them about walking, and they said, "Oh, I'd skip a day or two. Well, I skipped. <laughs> I skipped Thursday, and I went yeah. back. To, then I went back to walking Friday to walk Saturday, and I've been walking ever since. So, yeah, and I I remember you know going going to school down at Bee Branch. I mean, see you walking down the road. <laughs> yeah, they they were like, hey, "I saw your grandfather this morning doing his usual route." Yeah, I do it. I, I've done it a long time now, and and. If I don't walk, I feel guilty, you know, but yeah, but I take very few days off, and I've talked to a lot of of patients at the hospital that uh that attest to staying active, yeah. like just moving just moving your body a little bit, yeah, and if you if you don't do that, you you sit on the couch, sit in the recliner, and don't make an effort to to mobilize yourself, you're gonna lose your mobility that's right and and i I knew that, and I, and I just, you know, I used to smoke, and I quit smoking in 1968, and and I lost 40 pounds of weight because I was up to 215. I got I lost now to 175, and I've kept it off there, and it feels just like, you know, you're starving yourself, but I didn't want to get, you know, put on a lot of weight, so I, I, I stayed my, I'm around 175 now, you know. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of a lot of health issues can can be alleviated if if you get the weight off. Yeah, I mean, that's right. The the idea that some people get is that there's so many different things that they need to do to to be healthy. But if you're overweight or obese, if you if you cut that weight, I mean, you're you're alleviating seventy five percent of of your issues right there. I mean, that's a generalized number, but you get rid of a lot of the risk factors of developing heart disease, cancers, if you can just cut that weight. And a good way to do that is to, to go for a walk. Uh, people with diabetes, they've shown that 
you know, 20 minutes of walking a day, just 20 minutes, uh, normalizes your blood sugar, gets your hormones in balance, which is a huge, huge part of, of losing weight is, is getting your blood sugar and your hormones in balance. So be active. Think about it too. Like Mm. say you're 75 pounds overweight from your optimal, you know, weight for your height or whatever, and your age and gender. That's like, think about if you lost that weight, you'd be like carrying around a 75 pound backpack all the time. It can't be good for your joints and your, you know, your knees, your ankles, your, your hips and whatnot. So, yeah. And I have, I'm not poking fun at, at anybody, but they're, there's some awareness that you have to bring to that. And I'm glad you say that because there are these very obese people that, that come in the hospital uh, for whatever reason, whether it be self-inflicted or you know them having some type of disorder where they can't get weight off. And they talk about all these feet problems that they have. And they're like, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand why I've got all these feet issues. Well, man, you're, you're lugging around extra weight, you know, yeah. 7,500 pounds. And it's like... Over time, man, that that that'll do some damage to your feet. If I if I wore an extra hundred pound backpack all day, my feet be hurting too. You know what yeah, I mean? That's exactly. For sure. exactly. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that, but that's a that's a huge thing that that you're known for, and that you, I mean, it definitely benefits your life for sure. Well, stupid me, I I smoked for years, and or not too many years, but it's sort of a. a when I was younger, it was sort of a chick thing to do. You just felt like, well, everybody else is smoking, and it's not going to hurt you, so just smoke. But I realized that it did hurt you, and, and I quit. I had enough sense to quit in 1968, and, and and I was overweight. I weighed 215, and, and everybody said, well, I, you know, I lost down to 175 and quit smoking. And they said, well, you'll gain it back now. And I said, no, I'm not. It's too hard to take off. So yeah. I, <laughs> And uh, so I never did. I haven't gained it back over uh, over these over all these years, you know. That's awesome. I saw a statistic the other day. I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but it's the same gist. It said um, even if you had smoked for a really long time, we'll say 20 or 30 years, if you quit for a year, you'll alleviate 25, or it might have been 15% of the risk you would have for cardiovascular trouble and lung trouble and stuff like that. If you stop for five years, you've alleviated like 50%. And then if you stop for, it was like 10 or 15, then it was up to 75% of what could have been. So, yeah, I mean, if you, if you quit early, I mean, you can alleviate a lot of the symptoms or a lot of the chance that you would have to, you know, yeah, get a people, terrible disease or yeah, people well, get in this mindset that, oh, I'm, all, I'm too far gone to, to quit, but man, the body is so good at repairing the damage it's that has resilient. been done. It's yeah. resilient. So yeah, I didn't have any trouble quitting. I just I, I smoked a, my last cigarette in a package, and I just said I'm gonna quit. And I quit. No, I didn't take anything. I just quit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cold turkey. And it's cold turkey. It's not. It's not really easy. But about two weeks. I it took me about two weeks to get over it. You know, and. Uh, and I'm 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 proud I did. I tell you what, that was the best thing I did. I guess. So when my, when did you start smoking? Like what age were you? I was about you... fifteen. I played basketball, and the coach said, "You don't smoke. You know, nobody smokes." And everybody on the team smoked, and I, <laughs> I and I even took it up. You know, and and I, then you didn't know it was hurting you, and you you know thought it was kind of cute. You know to 
have a cigarette. And, and then, you know, I went through the Army, and, and we we had a lot of, you know, we, we smoked a lot in there. You get buy cigarettes ten a dollar ten cents a carton, and and it's just something that you did in there. You know, you just smoked. Yeah, it's more of like a social thing, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it became that. Yeah, you stand and, around with your buddies and smoke a cigarette, have some conversation, go back to do what you're doing. Yeah, repeat a little Could, bit later. Couldn't <laughs> af- couldn't afford the packages, so we'd buy Prince Albert or Velvet and roll them. You know. <laughs> And I remember I was playing here in Greenbrier in the old gym, and it was just it was just a barn's all it was. And uh, we were playing. I was in eleventh grade, and I stepped just outside the door, and it just had an old light hanging over, you know, just a light bulb hanging over outside. And I went out there and rolled me a cigarette and lit it up. And about that time, the coach stuck his head out, and he said, you're on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In the middle of the game. The of the game. Got, got to get me. Got, I'm out of breath. I got to get me a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, got, got caught in the act right there on the wow. spot. And so how how old, to give people an idea of how long you did smoke, how, how old were you when you decided to quit? Well, 1968, I would have been – what 36 36 so 20 years just to put that into perspective i mean this guy smoked for 20 years he he stopped he picked up a good habit of walking and i mean he is he's sharp in the mind he looks good i mean he's he's healthy at 86 years old so just keep in mind uh that if, if you do struggle with whether it be cigarettes or you know you need to lose a little weight or something it's it's not too late to uh to pick pick up a good habit or drop a bad one. Well, a lot of people, you know, when they quit smoking, they take up you know tobacco or something like that. It's all the same. You you still get it in your system, and it destroys. As as my dad always said, you undermine your health, and that's what tobacco does. If you chew it or or however you take it, it's it's still hard on all your body. You know. And and just because you quit smoking and, and take up something else, it's just as bad, you know. Yeah. It may not be as bad on your lungs, but, I mean, it's bad on your body, you know. Yeah. Because smoking destroys your whole body. You can tell it. You know, it's you just feel it. Yeah. And, uh, well, to kind of to kind of dive into to who you are, Grandpa, uh, what year were you born? 1932. I was born July 13th, 1932 at B Branch. We didn't go to the hospital. We were born at home. I was born at home. Yeah, on the same lot you live in now, right? Yeah, and on the same <laughs> lot, but different house, of course. So uh, the reason I bring that up is because, I mean, that that's like on the butt end of, of the Great Depression. And so uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the times back then. I mean, it, 86 years, you've seen quite a bit of change, so just kind of take us through some of that. Yeah, well, you know, of course, I remember back as far as 1937, and that's about as far back, you know, five years old. That's about as far back as you can remember. Yeah. And I remember times were hard, and, and the Depression started in 1929, and it never really ended until World War II started, and then, and that kind of people got to work then and otherwise they're just doing anything they could and uh working for nearly nothing you know to get by and they lived in a lot of people just lived in shacks 
just anything they could live in, you know. And it's it's a lot different than it is now. And uh, if you had a dollar bill, uh, that's probably a day's work. In fact, I worked at a service station seven days a week for a dollar a day, you know. A dollar a day. A dollar a day. Seven dollars a week. Yeah. How about that right, Will? That would have been. That's crazy, man. <laughs> that's wild. That would have been 1947 that I did that. And I was 15 years old. And I worked at a service station there at B Branch. And I had to sweep the front off one one day a week. Every week I had to sweep that front off. I had a big old push broom. And there was a huge, huge front. I, I'd sweep that off every every day, every week. And I I didn't work eight hours a day, like go to work at eight and get off at five. I I'd go to work about seven and then work till they say, well, you can go home now. And sometimes it's five, six, seven o'clock at night, you know. Oh man. And I had to grease cars and I had to change oil and I and I put, you know, gas and back then you put gas in cars. If they came up, to, uh, pulled up the driveway, you'd go out and, and take a chamois and clean their windshield and, and kind of check your tires or whatever, you know, and you did all that service. They called it the service, you know. And uh, Wow. And you did all of that for a dollar a day. Dollar a day, yeah. And I enjoyed it, you know. I enjoyed the dollar a day. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah. it was probably worth a lot more yeah, back I didn't, then. I didn't have any money, so what? What? You know, a dollar is a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, when you don't have any. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no doubt. How much did a gallon of gas cost at the service station? Back then, you know, it used to be twenty cents a gallon because people would get people would. Uh, my dad, my dad had a, a gas pump there at his little general store, and people would come come up and say, "Give me a dollar's worth." You know, that was five gallon. So everybody got in the habit of, of getting five gallon, and and it, I saw it gradually go up. And I thought when it got to be thirty cents a gallon, you know, they're not going to be able to sell any. <laughs> and here it is today. Man, here it is three dollars in early. I mean, it has been up to four dollars. Oh yeah, like yeah. I remember back in yeah. high school. Uh, I mean, it was gas was like three sixty, three seventy back yeah, when. It was high almost school. four dollars. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's just twenty wild. cents, man. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it was cheaper than that. But it, I remember when it was twenty cents, and oh, Daddy had uh, my dad had a pump you just pump it like this you know and you fill up <laughs> you fill up the tank up there and it had numbers one through ten and what you do is you it gravity would let that gas run out into your tank and you just watch it up there and if you wanted five gallon you stopped on five you know yeah and it wasn't automatic like they got now you know and yeah uh, so you could definitely you had to pay attention or you'd overfill well, yeah. And, and <laughs> Don't just shut off yeah, when it's you, good. <laughs> you'd have to pay for it, too. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you know, most people didn't have over a dollar. And I know when I came out of the Army, I, I could buy a dollar's worth of gas on my little Ford and drive to Conway and back, you know. Dang. That's wild. And that was three, about 3.3 .3, 3 .3 gallons, I think, for a dollar back then. That was in 1954. Yeah. So... That's that's kind of the you know the economy the economic side of things back then, but kind of kind of paint us a picture of just like the town that you grew up in. Like what 
what was going on? What what did you get into when you were a little bit younger in school? Um, well, B Brains was you know had about eight or ten stores in it, and uh, of course now that you know there's only I guess Snappy's Snappy's uh, service station and Snappy's service center are the only thing that's there now. Yeah, they got the Dollar General too. Now. Yeah, Dollar General moved in there. Yeah, I forgot about it, but it's there. And uh, it was, you know, when and when you were younger, as people came to town with a wagon and team, most men ride a horse to town, and very few people had cars. You know, uh, it was after the war. A lot of a lot of the guys came home from World War Two, and they they took their little dab of money they save and buy them some kind of an old car you know yeah i, I did that i had a 49 ford and i paid 500 dollars for it and it was a good <laughs> little car <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so so do you remember you know one of the first times that you actually got in a vehicle and drove because i mean in in our culture today and i know that not everyone is is fortunate enough to to get a vehicle at 16 but i know most most people in school that are in the school that I went to, I mean, at 16, you're getting some type of ride. Yeah. Uh, so like, did, when, when did you like drive your first vehicle and just get that experience? Probably when I was about 13. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. When I was about 13, I drove, my dad had an old 38 Ford and, and I'd drive it. And I guess when I was 14 or 15, I, I didn't even have a driver's license, but there wasn't any traffic much, and the old car didn't have any headlights, so I got out and hooked some up direct, and you could see about 30 foot in front of you. But I'd go to, and, and I hooked up some taillights the same way, you know, so we, so I'd go to Damascus and pick up my girl, and you wouldn't, you might not see a car all the way down there and back, you know. There wasn't any traffic then after dark much. And wow. those old headlights, you could just see far enough ahead of you to stay on the road, you know. Wouldn't even see a car. That's crazy. That's like almost 10 miles, maybe. Or it's like seven or eight mile stretch, and you wouldn't even see a car. If you drove that now, you'd probably see, I don't know, 500 cars. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. That's crazy. That is, wow. One car on the road. So I, I must ask, and I, I, I know most of your stories, but... uh did you ever wreck a, a car back then? Yeah, I wrecked daddy's, <laughs> I wrecked daddy's car. <laughs> uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, back then it didn't have hydraulic brakes. You had cable brakes, just old cable. And I was going down the road, and, and uh, somebody in front of me that had hydraulic brakes, they decided to stop and I couldn't stop, and, and I didn't want to rear-end them, so I ran out through the ditch, <laughs> and I, I, my bumper come around and tore a hole in the front fender, and uh, I, was down, I was down about, that's about 200 yards from where my dad's store was, north, and I looked up there and saw him coming down the road, because I just slipped off in the car. I didn't even tell him I was going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw him coming down the road, and I thought, boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and this guy here, he sits with a hole about that size in the, in, in the front fender of his car. That's the worst so, feeling, too. 
when yeah. you know you're about to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you see your dad coming So he down came the road. down and he didn't. He really didn't get on to me. And, and he told the guy that he told him said, "Get your car fixed and I'll pay for it." You know. And so we really, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But I remember he got it fixed and it cost six dollars. Oh it. my god! <laughs> Daddy paid for it. You know and. and he yeah. never did. He didn't get on to me all that much. I just thought he was really going to get me, yeah. chew me out. But he didn't. He didn't chew me out, and I just kept driving. And I was, I guess, I was eighteen or nineteen years old before I got a driver's license. Wow. So do you? I mean, it sounds like it sounds like uh, that. I mean, your dad was was an understanding dude. If he didn't jump all over you, well, he he defended me. Is what he did. You know. Okay. So I'm, I'm assuming you had a pretty pretty good relationship with your father then. Well, you know, you uh, if the guy's kindly, he he was he had a family and all in there, and he was nice about it. But he, I, I know Daddy knew I was nervous, and and he he came down and defended me, and he didn't jump on me in front of the guy or nothing like that. He just said, "You get your car fixed, and I'll pay for it." And, you know, so. Back yeah. then, nobody had insurance. If you'd had insurance, uh, you were lucky. And uh, Daddy would, would couldn't get insurance because he was too old, you know. And I yeah. couldn't get insurance because I was too young. So yeah. we didn't have any insurance on that old car. It wasn't worth anything anyway. So 38 Ford. 38 Ford. <laughs> That's crazy. So if you had an accident, you would just, whoever's fault it was, you would just kind of hash it out. And then that's if they right. were nice, they would say, hey, I'll pay to fix your car. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's kind of the way it went. Wow. Think and, about if somebody did that now. If, like know, if you rear-ended somebody and you were just like, well, I don't know if that was my fault, but uh, I'll pay to fix you. Know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's insane. Get a whiplash, say, I'm going to sue you for $100,000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, you you were kind of growing up. And what, like a teen when when World War Two kind of took off? When World War Two started, I was nine years old. Started in nineteen forty one. So right before you were a teenager. Yeah, I was talk, nine years old. Yeah. Talk, uh, my dad, he got up on Sunday morning, and Ruth, my sister Ruth, was born on December the seventh, nineteen forty, and she was a year old. And Daddy got up on Sunday morning, and he said. They're, they've opened the highway. You know, you used to come, when you come to Conway, you had to come through Wooster and Bun and around that way. It didn't go through Greenbrier then. Yeah. So Daddy said, they've opened the new road, and uh, let's go to Conway and drive the new road. So we all got in the car, and Ruth was one, one year old, so we drove to Conway. And we came back, and Daddy said, there's a man here in Damascus had a stroke. I want to stop and visit with him. And that was about 1 o'clock. And we stopped and walked in, and and the first thing they said was, "We're in war." So the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, so we're in war. And I, of course, the first first thing I thought about is my dad will have to go, you know. But he's he's too old because he's he's sixty something years old then, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but that's that's how I remember how it started, and. Uh, how I found out about it, you know. So you were, you said you were nine years nine old. Nine years old, and yeah. And your dad was 60? Well, he was, uh, let's see, he was, yeah, he was about 62 or three when Ruth was born, you know. And about wow. 50, he's about 57 or 56 when I was born, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, wow. That's you had, wild. A, you had an older dad then. Yeah, I did. Yeah. He's always 
old, you know. He's born eight, 1877. So. Wow. <laughs> 1877. Yeah. Wow. So he saw some changes. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. How how long did he end up living? He lived to be 95. 95, 95. years old. That's a long life. Yeah, it is. So, uh, and c- correct me if I'm wrong, I've, I've heard you tell this a few times. W- wasn't his wife, I mean, he... Didn't he have two marriages, but one of his wives was like almost 40 years younger than him? Yeah, that was my mother. Okay, yeah. But he had a, he had a wife that was close to being the same age he was, and she died with TB probably in, in the early 20s. And That's they had crazy. one son, Wendell, and then Daddy married my mother, and she was probably 20 or 21, and he was 48. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, so third, about, yeah. That's crazy. So they had, had four kids by her, you know. Dang. That's insane. I remember playing, you remember playing Oregon Trail? I do. And you would die by TV? Yeah. You, that's crazy. <laughs> and it, was, it was a real thing. I know. That's insane. <sighs> oh, man. That's, the times are, the times are different for sure. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So when when World War II started, that's crazy that you have that vivid of a memory of like I, we stopped by and see this dude that had a stroke and yeah. said that war was starting. But like when you realize that it started, like before it started, you remember it starting, and then after, like what changed? What like in the culture of just like everybody around you? Well, a lot of the guys around B Branch uh, in Morganton in that area. They were anybody who was eighteen years old would get drafted, but a lot of people they were you know they were really they they were really mad at the Japanese, so they they joined a lot of seventeen year olds you know and and then you could lie about your age you go in at sixteen, and a lot of guys joined you know besides being drafted, and they drafted people up to i guess probably forty years old. Because we were in trouble, boy. I tell you what, we had two fronts there. We had to fight Japanese and had to fight the Germans, and it was pretty rough. And we didn't have, wasn't prepared for it, you know. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, actually, it put a lot of people to work. Went a lot of women, you know, did start doing. Uh, they started doing jobs, you know, like building ships and building planes and doing welding and all that, you know, and. Uh, the women really helped, you know, because guys went off to war, you know, and they, and they luckily they kept it overseas and never come here, but they they fought in you know over there and and then they fought mostly in the Pacific Ocean, the little islands and yeah. Japanese. They fought the Japanese on those little islands. They take one island at a time, you know, and it was all a bloody mess when they took it. So it was really it's, it's hard times, and and uh, we we were lucky to win it. We had to have the will to win, or we'd never won that war, you know. We, but uh, it, we had something they didn't have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have the will because they, you know, they living under dictators. And, yeah. So we, yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of the things about just like bringing bringing people together in the the power. Uh, of nationalism yeah and just saying let's let's get behind uh, get behind our leaders and and do this you yeah. gotta have people that you believe in and that it's a double-sided coin because i mean you look at the nazis in, in germany that's 
that's a form of nationalism gone wrong yeah, because they, they were behind wrong. their leader too. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to think about though, like, cause me and Gary, we were, whenever we were, uh, at war with Iraq, we were still very young. We were probably, no we, we were, we weren't even 10 years old, you know, four five, six. So we don't even, I don't even know what it's like to be, to have our country in a war. You know what I mean? It's like, we still have troops over there, but we're not, actively in a you know in a firefight or in a very intense war at the moment i don't think is that is that wrong to say i don't think so wow but it just well, be, it'd be so strange to just be our age and then all of a sudden just have a major world war that's going on you know yeah, it's, that's so crazy to think about yeah it was it uh you know the people were concerned you know that they were going to take our country and put us under a dictatorship and I mean, the people came alive, and they they joined. And uh, I tell you what, if you were 4F, why you were kind of looked down on. You know, you couldn't help it. You were if you if you didn't pass your physical to go in service with 4F, people kind of looked down on you. You know what is what is 4F? I mean, 1A is is if you're going to get drafted. Okay. And 4F is when you. You failed. You, you're not physically able to go. You know? Oh, that's crazy to me. Like just growing up when I did, it's crazy to me that that you they like people were able to lie about their age. <laughs> like it's so like I don't under yeah, I don't see we, how I would lie about my age. Well, like to the government, <laughs> I don't think you could because they have so much stuff about you that like so many records and social security numbers well, and identification. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't. That's crazy. I don't know if you could lie about your age anymore. Yeah, that's that's wild. Well, back then, you know, everybody didn't have a birth certificate, and uh, that's and crazy they didn't, too. I don't think they really cared much. If, if I know a guy fifteen years old joined the navy, he just said, "Well, I'm seventeen or eighteen, You know, if you're seventeen, then you had to get your parents' consent. But fifteen, he had to get his parents' consent, and he joined the navy. You know, fifteen wow. years old. Fifteen years old. Yeah. Man. But uh, people wanted to help, you know, and everybody wanted to help. It not, wasn't like it was later when they protested and everything. They were trying to win that war, you know. Yeah. We'll talk. So, the, you know, the war was going on. There were some, some things that, that changed. But what was it like when you had realized uh, for the first time that, that we, we won? Well, of course, everybody was jubilant. They were happy. <laughs> Everybody yeah. was in the jubilee. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's big headlines in the papers and on on the radio. Of course, they didn't have television, but they had radios, and it was uh, they were happy. I mean, you know. Yeah. So, like, you kind of told us about the before and after when the war started. What was it like with the before and after? Like, what? What? I mean, everybody was happy in in that initial moment. But what happened as far as just the the culture, the economy, what, what happened after the war from well, your perspective? They, they, were, they were good times, you know. Uh, after they, even after that, they still had good times. I mean, uh, people had jobs and everything, you know. They, just because they, they won the war, they still had jobs. But Oh, yeah. And then, I guess in 1950, then... Uh, Harry Truman was president, and, and North Korea invaded South Korea. And they, they was a communist country. So Truman decided that he was going to 
intervene and, and uh, run those North Koreans out of South Korea. So they started another war in 1950, and it's just been over since 45, you know. And uh, so a lot of guys had to go. They got they dra- got drafted, you know. I got drafted. And there's a lot of people got yeah. every, Everybody 18 years old or older got drafted, you know, up to a certain age. Yeah, uh, that that was actually kind of where I was I was going with this. Yeah. Um so you you said you got drafted, you were in the the Korean War, so talk a little bit about your experience. Well, they just drafted me in 19 I went in 1952. And the war, it, it, it got pretty rough, 51 and 52. But uh, I got drafted on the first day of December 1952. And I, I went to California and took basic training until April of 53. And then I came home on a little leave, and then they shipped me right straight to Korea. I got there in June, and the war ended the 27th of July. And I was, you know, I was in the 81 mortar company there. And uh, you were on the mortar team? Yeah, I was on the mortar team, yeah. <laughs> Heck and, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch, you know, there's, in the squad, there's nine guys in the squads, you know. And, and you had a, each squad had a mortar, you know. And, yeah. But it was, you know, I got a little, I got a little combat time, about a month. And, uh, I stayed in until, I guess, until October. Well, actually, I got discharged October the 12th, 1954, so I was in a little less than two years. It's because I had a little Korea combat time that I got out a little bit early, you know. Yeah. As soon as I got back to the States, they they discharged me. So did you... When you went over there, did you think you had a certain amount of time that you were going to have to serve, or was it a certain number of years that you were supposed to go? Yeah, when you got over there, there was there were you got so many points, and uh, I think you had to have thirty six points, and you got nine points a month, and most guys would rotate after nine months, they'd get to come home, and that's you know when I went, I didn't know what I would be rotate back at 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 nine months, but. Of course, the war ended then, and, and I just got my four points for being there during the war, one month, and I got I got a little, I got discharged a little early, you know. Yeah. So, what are some of the experiences? I mean, you you went to a another country. Talk a little bit about your experience over there, well, besides just wartime. When I came home on leave before I went over there, I, I had to go back to Camp Stoneman, California. And that was where you ship out. It's called Repo Depot, they call it, replacement depot. And uh, we got on a barge and went down the Sacramento River down to San Francisco. And then we got off of the barge and got on a big ship, troop ship. And we spent 28 days on the water going over. And That's we, crazy. Wow. And we stopped in Japan, Sasebo, Japan. and. Uh, they issued us rifles. We had to zero those rifles in and everything. And then when we got that done, then we went from from Sasebo, Japan, to Pusan, Korea. Or not Pusan, but Incheon. Incheon, Korea. 28 yeah. days yeah. on the water. That's insane. Yeah. And then 
when I came home, it was, 20, it was 30 days. But we stopped in Hawaii coming home. We, they gave us a 12-hour pass. We brought a bunch of troops from Korea into Hawaii, and they gave us a 12-hour pass, so I got to go out into Hawaii a little while in 12 hours. Yeah, that's, and, that's neat. Was it, was it pretty, I mean, it's 12 hours, but was it pretty cool to go to Hawaii? Well, I just, it wasn't a state then. It was just a territory, you know, American territory. And and I didn't have any money. I borrowed $10 off some guy, and that's all I had. But I think the first thing I did is got me a cheeseburger and a, I ordered French fries and a chocolate malt because he didn't have nothing like that in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> what what were I, you eating over in Korea? Well, we were just eating what chow, you know, regular chow, just whatever they served. You know? Yeah. So there was like a hall that you'd go to and Well, yeah, chow you hall. had a mess hall, yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> chow time. Yeah, chow time. Yeah, you you lined up and went through eight, you know, and that's that's all you had. You couldn't go downtown because everything they had, they told you not to eat. You, you didn't go buy something down to McDonald's or something. They wasn't any place to eat. So you, what you did is you ate in your mess hall, and that's it. Mm, that's crazy. And whatever they served. And I, I craved a cheeseburger, a malt, chocolate malt, and French fries, and that's what I got. And at that time, you could get probably those three items, you know, probably for a buck and a half. Oh, you my know? gosh. <clears throat> You go by, you go by the, go by the McDonald's or the Wendy's, man. It's seven, eight dollars. You're lucky yeah, to get out of there if you don't spend ten. Yeah, you get a milkshake now, it'd be fifteen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. Uh, and I, I, I went in and got a, a haircut. Uh, I think you know seventy five cents or fifty cents or something. But I hadn't had a haircut all the time. I was over fourteen and a half months. I was over there. Get a little shaggy. Yeah, well, people cut your hair. <laughs> You didn't go in, in the barber shop because you didn't have a barber shop, you know. <laughs> wow. And you get somebody, maybe some Korean come in and cut your hair, you know. And I I went in and, and got me a what I call a stateside haircut. A stateside haircut. <laughs> yeah, a shoe shine, probably a quarter. So it's <clears throat> uh it's mentionable and a lot of people around the area know that you're you're a musician, you play the piano, but you also play the guitar, and uh, if you'd talk a little bit about, because, I mean, you played some music while you were over there. Yeah, we we played, we had a little band over there, and, and we played at the officers' clubs, and NCO clubs, and stuff like that at night. I didn't mean you got out of training, you just went down and played, and, and the officers, that Red Cross would send girls over there, you know, and they were they they worked, and they would come down and and dance with the officers, you know. And so it was yeah. when they had a dance, while well, they had girls there, you know, but it was Red Cross girls, you know. Yeah, them Red yeah. Cross girls. Yeah. <laughs> we we didn't have we didn't have good equipment. We didn't have a microphone and and uh, electric instruments and stuff like that because they didn't have them, you know. We just, yeah. I played a, an old piano, you know. So how did you how did you get the opportunity to do that? I mean, how did you, well, you just stand mean, out and be like, "Yo, I, I play music. I'm gonna play music well, for y'all guys." I played on a ship going over. You know, me and I played the guitar, and I had a banjo player, and he played. He was a good banjo player, and, and we entertained. We get up on this poop deck and 
<laughs> the food and deck. <laughs> every afternoon we'd get up there and, and have had to have a little show. Yeah. And we'd do about two songs on you know. And we got a special chow pass for doing that. I mean that meant we go we could go to the head of the line, you know. Heck, oh, there you yeah, go. Superstar. <laughs> yeah. So you got paid to play. Or no, not paid, but you got something yeah. at least. And and uh I don't know, you you know, in basic training I played. I went over to the service club and played piano over there. I entered a contest over there and won an electric razor and stuff, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh when was the first time you ever played piano, Mr. Sam? Or or when did you learn to to play instruments? Well, both of my sisters took piano lessons and we had a piano at home. And they they'd take lessons, but for some reason they didn't give boys lessons so much back then. And I used to go in, and after they'd practice, of course, my older sister was the one, and I kind of fell behind. And I, after she'd practice, I'd go in, sit down, and pick out a tune with one finger. I could pick out, a, I could just think of a tune and pick it out with one finger. And over the years, I just developed where I could use both hands. I never took any lessons or anything. I just picked it up on my own, you know. I had a ear for it. And that's I could, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you just started playing. Yeah. Man. Well, I mean, cool. I didn't start out like I'm playing now. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I could say one finger, you know. Yeah. And so um, was music something that you was like you were around a lot when you were younger? Or yeah, like, my how mother, did you? My mother played the, she played the radio all the time. We listened to music all the time, you know. She kept a radio going all day and you'd listen to music, you know. And then L.B. Dawson moved in out close to where we live, and he played the piano and played the fiddle and played the – he played everything, you know. And I just watched him play, and I just kind of impressed me. To, I, I wanted to do that, you know. Yeah, I relate. <laughs> yeah. You just see – I don't know, there's always been something about uh, – because I, I grew up around my dad and, and Monty and you just being able – I mean – Y'all had been playing for years by that time, but it it was just like something that I saw that I was like, "Holy crap, these guys are really good!" And it just it fascinated me. The yeah. first some of the first memories I have, uh, besides living in that old brick house in Choctaw, was y'all playing music. Yeah, and and being, I don't know if I was at shows. I just remember hearing and just being so fascinated with what y'all were doing. I don't even think I really understood what y'all were doing. Well, I, I didn't start playing the guitar until I was 19 years old, and and all I did then was just strum, you know. Yeah. And I didn't play, I didn't play the keyboard, at you know, with a band. I just played the strum and sang. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do was play that guitar. And then in 1955, Elvis came along and and was doing rock and roll, and I'd been playing boogie woogie ever since I was a little old kid, you know. So I thought, well, I'm going to try that out. And, and I did a lot better on on the keyboard by playing rock and roll. And I played in a rock and roll band in Little Rock, you know, in, in the late 50s, 58, 59. And I played the piano for them, you know. And, and we had a five-piece rock and roll band, and I played nearly every weekend. Five-piece rock and roll. Yeah. And I was going to college, and, and I, I made more money to make now. And that was... Big as a mountain, you know, getting a little GI Bill and then and then playing a little music. And after a while, I got on a stage crew, so I had a lot of help, you know. 
Yeah. So, like, when did you? I know you said that you you went over overseas and kind of played some little shows for the people that were there, but that that was kind of in a time where I mean entertainment was few and far in between i mean yeah you're playing music but y'all are in wartime and it's it's kind of a more well, serious this was after the war was over yeah yeah but i'm i'm saying like when did you start playing for people when you got back like when did you start playing in a band and like actually getting together and making music with other people for people like for audiences well i, I started playing in a band before i went in the army Oh, okay. I was in Wichita, Kansas, working, and some guy where I was working, he he came up to me one day and he said, "I understand you play the piano," and I said, "Well, I play at it a little bit." And he said, "Would you like to come up and play some for me this afternoon to go up, go up the highway up the street here, and there's there's a club up there got a piano." And I said, "Yeah, I'll go with you." So we went up there and and I played a little bit on the piano, you know, and. He said, you want to play in the band? I said, yeah, I guess. And it was a three-piece band, me and a, a, the guitar player. He played lead, and he had a steel, and he, he'd play steel and had the guitar around his neck, and then the singer, and then I played the piano, and that was us. That's the first band I played, and that was in 1952, April of 52. Yeah, and I I remember he uh, he's told me before that, I didn't know that God made honky yeah, honk, tonk angels. Honk angels. That, that was the big song, and we'd do that two or three times a night, see. And, and we started at 9 o'clock, and I was working at Hay Packing Company in the daytime. We'd start at 9 o'clock, and, I, and, and we'd play till 1, and then I'd have to get up the next day and go to work. And I'd work, and about all I did was just eat and sleep. I didn't have time to do anything, but they'd pick me up at night about 8.30. And we'd go to the club, and we'd and I I didn't have any instruments. All I had was just go play the piano, you know. And, yeah. And so I didn't have to set anything up. And they had a microphone and and electric guitar and steel guitar, and and the singer had a he had a rhythm guitar, and he just stood up there and sang. And so it was sort of an orchestrated fight. They had had at least one fight every night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So you drove the people wild, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. And then that's when I got that's when I got my call to go be examined for the army. And I came home and was examined and and uh they didn't take me right away, so I stayed around home there for a month or so and then, you know, I needed to do something, so I went back to Wichita. Yeah. And at that time, if you wanted to get a job, the first thing they'd ask you is, how are you with the draft? And I'd say, well, I've been examined. And they said, well, we can't use you. So finally, I went. I Why saw, couldn't they use you if you'd been examined? Because, Did you fail your examination? No, we can't use you because it puts you to work, and then maybe you get drafted tomorrow. And you. Oh, I get, if you're getting a job, yeah. like in Wichita, yeah. they say, well, you may is you don't have much uh, – uh, security, I guess, because you could just yeah, be gone in the next day. You might be there a day, and you might be there a month or yeah. two. Yeah. But anyway, I was reading the newspaper and want ads, you know, and looked down there and said, taxi cab drivers wanted. So I thought, well, I can drive a taxi because I can drive. So I go down and sign up, and, and I have to take a test and all that stuff. And I was just 20 years old, and uh, 
I told the guy then he, he said you're supposed to be 21, and I said, well, I'm just 20. So he said, just tell him you're 21. They say just lie about your age. Yeah. Apparently, everybody else did it. Nobody asked. <laughs> nobody asked. So I mean, they just nobody checked anything. So they just said hell right. And I said twenty one. So I I drove. I, I went to work driving a taxi. Wow. And I had to take a test, and the test was name different places. They named different places in the city, and you'd have to tell where they were and how you got there and everything. And I had no idea, you know. <laughs> So, oh Lord, the guy, the guy that was giving the test and everything, well, he, after it's over, he told me to stick around. We'll give it again. And I'll help you. I'll help. So you. he gave it. He gave the test again and and helped me. And so I passed it. And they, I got my little temporary license. And I had to go down and take a picture, put in on the license, and <clears throat> and I drove a taxi until. Oh, the latter part of November, and then I got my call to be inducted on the first day of December. So I came back home. I, I waited just as long as I could, and I came back home the first of December and went in the Army. What was going through your mind before you actually went? It wasn't really, I didn't really dread it all that much because, you know, when you're young like that, you just, it's kind of an adventure. Yeah. And I didn't really. Uh, I didn't really care about going, but I I didn't join or anything. But I you know I didn't try to do anything to get out. Yeah. So they took me down and examined me, and and I passed, and so it I went on to I went on took basic training, and and right out of basic, I, they shipped me out, you know, to, to Korea. So I've got I've got a couple of buddies that that have been that are in some type of service and they they tell some horror stories from basic training how was how was basic training yeah basic training was all right it uh i took basic training training at camp roberts california and it was in dead winter you know and a lot of guys were going to places like fort hood and fort leonard wood missouri and they'd tell these horror stories about how cold it was and it freeze to death at night and all that stuff and i went to california and i went out and it was in the mojave desert so the temperature in, in the winter time was in 60s 70s and 80s you know all, all winter there you go oh, wow. so, <laughs> that's when i that's where i took my basic you know and i was lucky there and of course they give me 14 days to come home and go back to the camp stone in california so it wasn't much time but so i stayed seven extra days he's <laughs> saying <laughs> Kicking they, it in California. <laughs> yeah, well, I stayed seven extra days, which was 21 days, and I went back, and I figured that, you know, the penalty then was if you went AWOL. What is that? AWOL. Oh, AWOL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go AWOL, uh, they just send you to Korea. You wouldn't even finish your basic, but I was already out of basic, and I was going to Korea anyway. So I didn't have a lot of time, so I just stayed seven extra days. And I thought, well, when I get back out there, they'll really raise sand with me. <laughs> they didn't do a thing to me. I never pulled a detail. I was there 25 days and never pulled a detail. And it just, you know, it just, uh, when I got discharged, I had 59 days leave time coming. And they deducted seven those seven days pay. That's what they paid me for fifty nine days, but they deducted seven days, and that's all the penalty I ever got for staying seven extra days. And it's worth it to me, boy. I got to stay home seven extra days. Yeah. Wow. 
So that was your mindset before you went, but when you got back, I mean, you'd spent some time overseas and you get back and I mean, you were a taxi cab driver before that. I mean, what was going through your head when you got back overseas? Well, you we got a little, little mustering out pay and, and, uh, got $25 a week, 25 for 25. We got $25 a week for 25 weeks. And, uh, so I just laid around and had a good time. I, I tried to get settled down and get getting used to being back at home and all. And I just, I realized when that money was about to run out, I realized that, that I need to do something. I didn't have a job or anything. So I decided to go to college. So I started college in September of 1955 on GI Bill, which they paid you $110 a month for 36 months, you know, in four nine-month terms. And I, that's how I got started going to college. And, and I told my dad, I said, I'm going to decide to go to college, but I'm not sure $110 a month is enough. And he said, I'll help you some if you'll go. So he gave me $15 a week. <laughs> Heck yeah. There you go. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that big as a mountain back then, 55. Yeah, so so how old were you at this point when you decided to start college? Okay, in 1955, I would have been 23. 23, okay. Yeah. I'm 23 right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, so, I'd been to California, and I'd been to Michigan. I'd been to Wichita a couple of times working, just different jobs. So I'd been around quite a bit, and I knew when I got back out of the Army that it's time to do something, you know. So I just decided that maybe I'd go to college. So what were, I mean, in your, if you remember, like what, what were your, your paths? I mean, it's either go to college or what else did you have in mind? I didn't have anything in mind. So you were just like, all right, I'm going to go to college. Did you know what you wanted to do with college? Yeah, I wanted to be a coach. You wanted to be a coach, okay. Yeah, I thought I might be a basketball coach or something. But see when I got when I got home from Korea, I went up to Clinton and talked to the recruiting officer and see I got discharged as a corporal, two stripes. And I thought I might go back in the Air Force. So I went up and talked to the recruiting officer for the Air Force and the 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 equivalent of a corporal in the Air Force was three stripes. And I went up there and told this, this uh, recruiting officer, I said, if you give me the three stripes like you're supposed to, I'll go, I'll re-up and go back in the Air Force. He said, I'm not sure I can do that, but I'll let you know. I'll be back here in a week, and I can check and see if I can give you three stripes. So he came back in a week, and he told me, I can give you two, and that that, that was the same as Army PFC, you know. And I said, I don't believe I want to do that. So that knocked that in my head. I didn't didn't really want to be a career military guy anyway, but I thought the Air Force would be a better deal than the Army, you know. Yeah, that's what most people say. Yeah, and a lot of guys, you know, before before they were going to get drafted, they joined the Air Force or, would join the Navy or something and stay out of the Army, you know. But, of course, what they did with me, I was in the infantry. That's the first thing they did is put me in the infantry. And the rest, we march, we march, we march. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to college. Uh, you went to what is now UCA, but what was the teacher's college? Arkansas State Teacher's College, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so what? tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, that was, that was a good experience, you know. I, 
I enjoyed college. I hated high school, and and I loved college. I and uh, I had a car and kind of enjoyed college, you know. Yeah. And after I was there a year or two, I, then I got a, a couple of part-time jobs and played music. And, and uh, Bill Hauger ran the Conway Bookstore, and he was he was in a he was a, kind of an invalid in a wheelchair. And he called me in one day, and he asked me, he "said How would you like to work for me? It take me home at night when I you know go home, and I get off at ten thirty and go home, and and I'll pay you three dollars a night." And I said. That sounds good. I'll do that. So that's five nights a week. Well, that's 15 bucks right there, see. And I'd take Bill, I'd go down and pick Bill up at 1030, and we'd go to Gant's Steakhouse, and he'd usually eat a steak or something, and I could eat whatever I wanted. It didn't make any difference. I could eat a steak or whatever, but very seldom at late would I eat very much, you know. Yeah. And I did that for about the last year or two I went to college. Plus, I got... The, he put me on stage crew. I worked on the stage crew, and that paid fifty dollars a month. Heck yeah! And uh, <clears throat> and I was playing music at, with the Rebels in Little Rock, and and you know the I, Rebels, yeah, the Rebels. <laughs> That's the name of the band. <laughs> and I'd go down there and play, and you know, we'd make anywhere from twenty five, fifty dollars a night, you know, down there. And we played about every weekend, you know. Yeah. So, so you had a good stream of income. Even when you were in college, and yeah. you didn't even really have a, I mean, you're just doing all kind of jobs, you yeah. know? I always tell people I had three part-time jobs when I was going to college. Well, the last couple of years, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, what, uh, as far as like, I mean, that's kind of why you're in college outside of college, but how did you perform like in your studies and did you end up going and being a coach or like, what did, what did you end up doing? No, I, I, after I was there, I, yeah, we had to take this. They gave us this test. I don't know what you call it, but it, being a coach was way down low on the list. Yeah. And and it, if I was wanting to play music or anything like that, that was high on the list, you know. So what I did was uh, a teacher asked me one time. I was taking oral interpretation, and the teacher asked me, said, how would you like to be in a play? And I said, well, I've never been in a play. I don't know. And she, she said, I'd like to give you a little part in a play if you'll, if you'll take it. And I said, I, I think it'd be fun, you know. Well, I got a little part in Romeo and Juliet, just a small part, you know. Yeah. And I loved it. And I changed my major in speech because I wanted to be a, I love that stage, you know. Yeah. Do you think you that kind of carried over from being a musician and just being up and Probably. being and, the center of attention? Yeah. And I, the coach just wasn't, didn't fit my category. It just didn't work in you know and i realized when i when i was in this play that i really loved it and i liked the part of helping build the sets and 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 then i was in quite a few plays you know myself you know but i'd help always help design the sets and a lot of them i was in charge of the sets you know building them yeah that's, that's awesome. cool so so you 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 know changed your major to speech and what what happened from there well, I just went ahead and I was going, I guess I was going to make a speech teacher. And the last nine weeks I was down there, I took my, I did my practice teaching at Hall High School in Little Rock. And I hated every day of it, <laughs> nine weeks of it. I hated it. And I thought, I, I can't never be a school teacher. I'll never be a school teacher. So I got, uh, you know, I got home and, and, uh, 
<clears throat> sheriff's office called me down and, and asked me if I, what I would like to collect taxes for. He was a sheriff, and he didn't. He needed somebody to collect taxes. You know, he was sheriff and collector back then. So I said, yeah, I guess. You know, I don't have anything to do right now. I'm just out of college. And he, he said, I'll pay you $50 a week. And I said, okay. So I went up and I stayed up there off and on two years, $50 a week, never got a raise or anything. And then I decided that the last year that I worked there in 1952, it wasn't 52, it was 62, that I would run for clerk. My dad wanted me to run for clerk, and I thought, well, I get beaten, then I can go do something else. <laughs> but I didn't get beaten. I stayed there 24 years. So, <laughs> so, so that's how for... I got in the clerk's office. Yeah. So before we get into your your political campaign and all of that, uh, it, it's notable. I was kind of hoping you'd mention this, but did, didn't you get kicked out uh, of school when you were at the Arkansas Teachers College for a little bit? Yeah, I did. Yeah, my freshman year, um, my second semester. How how'd that go down? Well. Uh, really, it was you know it was kind of a sad situation because I think I made I did, spent a lot of time. We, me and another guy, got an apartment out there by the school, and every night we'd cook a big supper and, and sit down and watch television. And when my grades came in, I think I had two D's and two F's. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to the best of them. Yeah, and, and, and uh, so. They, they wrote me a letter and told me that I had I was on probation, that I couldn't come back. And I told my dad, I said, boy, I hate that. And he said, I hate it too. I said, you go down and talk to him, see if you can't get in. And my brother, half-brother, was a good friend to the president of the college, so I asked him if he'd go talk to him. And he said, no, I can't. I can't. If they put you on probation, there's nothing I can do. So I told my dad, I said, the only thing I know to do is go down and talk to him myself. So I went down and talked. And Daddy went with me, and we went down to the, the president, or the, the dean of college, dean of the college, Burdick, Dr. Burdick. Oh, and yeah, we, they got a Burdick Hall down yeah, there now. Yeah, well, that's Dr. Burdick. Was, he was the dean of men then. And I went in and sat down, and I told him, I said, Dr. Burdick, I'd, I'd, I'd sure like to go to college. I said, I'm just, I just got discharged out of the Army, and I was a little bit unsettled. And I think if I had another chance, I could do better. And he sort of leaned back in his chair, and he said, do you want to go to college, or you want to come and party? And I said, no, I don't party. I just, I want to go to college. And I sat and talked to him for probably 30 minutes or an hour. <laughs> and he said, tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to I'm going to pull your file. He had a little red tag on. I'm going to put that, take that little red tag off of there. And you go home and you write me a letter and tell me how you can better yourself. And I'll let you back in for one semester. And I said, I appreciate it. And I'll do it. So I did. I went home and wrote a letter and told him I'd repeat the courses. And then you could repeat them. And if you had an F, you could repeat it and get a, and change the grade, you know. Yeah. They'd, they'd erase that and put whatever you made the second time. Yeah. So I told him, I said, I'll take those courses over that I failed, and, and I'll I'll work harder and try to, you know. He said, well, I, you know, come on back. So I went back, and they let me in. 
And they, they didn't normally do that. <laughs> when Heck they put yeah. you on probation, you're, you're out and for a year at least, you know. But he let me come back, I guess, because I told him a sob story about being, a mil- uh, being in the military. And so he said, yeah, just come on back and we'll let you in for a semester. So I went back and I started repeating those courses and, and taking them all over. And I never did fail another course, you know, I stayed. So I, I didn't make a you know, I I wasn't on the dean's list or nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I never, I never. But you finished. But I graduated. Yeah, I yeah. got I got a degree and I got a degree to teach, and I never taught a day in my life except practice teaching. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Nine weeks of hating it. <laughs> yeah, nine weeks of practice teaching, driving to Little Rock and back every day from Conway. I I I had an apartment. I mean, a room in Conway, and I drive back and forth. And. uh so and, after all of that, you you went in and ran for the county clerk. So tell us a little bit about that, because I mean you gotta you gotta set up a campaign. You gotta let people know who you are. Like how how did well, you attack that? I worked in the collector's office collecting taxes for a couple of years, and I met a lot of people. You know, I met a lot of people, and I was always I shook hands with them and good to them and everything. And when, you know, when the time, election time came around in 62, well, my dad, he'd been messing with politics all his life, and he ran a couple of times, got beaten, just barely got beaten. He he said, I want you to run for clerk. And I said, Daddy, I don't want to get in politics. He said, oh, you you can win. said, you get in politics. And I ran, I guess, uh, I decided to go ahead and run and then get beaten. I'd go somewhere and get me a job or something, you know. And I ran against an old seasoned politician. I thought, well, I won't have a chance, you know. And I beat him pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you were thinking, how'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I only had four opponents in those 24 years. So, and I always won those easy. So, what, uh, I mean, what do you think gave you the edge? Just being nice to people and telling them the truth, not lying to them. You know, politicians are bad to lie, but I just told them the truth and shook hands with everybody. It was nice to everybody. And, and the country people, I was nice to them, and, and they appreciate it. Yeah. Kindness goes a long ways. Yeah. And I, I, I even carried the I even carried the cities. <laughs> you, what do you mean by carrying the cities? Here we'll get your phone for you. There I got you go. more votes. Oh, you can't. Yeah, when you when you care, when you get more votes than somebody else, you carry that you carry that precinct. You know? Yeah. Okay, I've never heard that. Yeah. No, neither. <clears throat> so. So, uh, I mean, twenty four years is a is a pretty long time. That's twelve terms. To to, to stay in office. Yeah, so. twelve terms. What, uh, I mean, what were your, your duties as clerk? Like, what were you doing on a daily basis? Well, at county and circuit clerk, you, you record, you, you sell marriage license, you record deeds, and you handle all the courts. In other words, I, I, I kept the records of all, all the courts except municipal court, probate court, circuit court, chancery court, and, uh, I kept all those uh, records of those and filings of them, you know, put them in file a case in circuit court or in chancery court and probate court or juvenile court, whatever. And I had to keep those records, you know. 
was it a uh, was it a stressful thing at times? I mean, I'm sure any anything can get stressful, but well, like, did you did you enjoy your work? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I love my I love my job. I, to stay with you for 24 years, you had to kind of like yeah, it. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> the biggest problem I had was we had we had to hand type everything and proofread, and uh, we had to type the tax book, and it was that thick, you know, big tax book. We had to type and proofread that whole book every year. Oh wow! Plus, when they started getting Fairfield Bay in places, they had a a subdivision book, and it was that thick, and so we had to type both of those, and that was the biggest problem I had. You had to start about September to get them all typed by the end of the year, you know. And uh, it, was, it, it could get stressful, but I liked it. And, and I, after you get past the point of no return, you, <laughs> you, you can't hardly quit, you know. But I got so tired of it that after 24 years, I quit. And what did you, you do after that? I came to Conway, and I worked for Judge Donovan as a prob- uh, probation officer for I guess five months, and then I retired. You said, I'm done. I'm done. And how old were you when you retired? 56. 56. Yeah. There's a lot of people in this world that would like to retire at 56. That's true. Well, I didn't didn't have a real good retirement, but, you know, over a period of years, it got a little better. Yeah. And then I I got old enough to draw Social Security and retirement and Social Security, you know, you kind of had enough to get by on. Yeah. And so that, that kind of brings me to, to the last topic. Um, a lot of people, you know, spend their whole lives and they, they think of this, this version of themselves when they get older and they get to that retirement age um, and, you know, what they want to be, the legacy that they want to leave. And a lot of the times we have younger guests on the podcast you are by far i think you double or maybe even triple some of the the age people that we've had on this podcast um and we normally ask this question in the way you know what legacy do you want to leave when you get to that age but do you feel like you know as your 20 year old self or your 30 year old self that you look back on your life at 86 right now and you're you're content with what you did and, and how your family looks at you and the relationships that you've built over time. I guess if I had to do over, I'd do the same thing again, you know, because, and I've always been nice to people and I've never had anybody really, you know, really say, well, he, he's sorry. And he, and they always, everybody thinks a lot of me. Yeah. And, and I have friends and, and, uh, like Amy Gardner said, I never, I never heard a bad word about you. So that's what, that's what I want to leave. That's a legacy I want to leave, you know. Yeah, I, I think you've done an, an excellent job of that. Yeah. Um, just coming, <clears throat> coming from your grandson, I mean, I've definitely looked up to you uh, my whole life. So I think you've done a really, really good job of that. Well, I appreciate that, <clears throat> and I appreciate you. You know, I re- appreciate Will because you boys were – athletes you know and and i I enjoyed many many years of watching you play play baseball and basketball and stuff and i just thought it it really entertained me for years you know you can't imagine how much 
I even bragged about it a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is one thing. I've what you're talking about, Mr. Sam, I've never seen um anyone else so positive. You know, if we had a good win, he'd be the first one over to us congratulating us, giving us a hug. If we had a bad defeat, first one over there telling yeah, us how good thing. we did. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. And I just appreciate how consistent you always were with your positivity and you know, just encouraging us as we were, you know, we were, we were kids, you know, everybody needs encouragement, but yeah. Yeah. BJ Bush. Now, even now he'll come up and shake hands with me. Cause I always, he very seldom did he get to play, but I always went up and shook hands with him and say, good game, you know? And, and, uh, he remembers that today. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it's right. more, it's more than, not even trying to relate this so much to sports, but just any interaction that you have with with younger men as an as an older guy. I mean, I mean, you only saw them mainly at, at ball games and maybe some of the the sports uh, banquets and things like that. But in a way, you you kind of were a role model, like in how to act in social situations. You know, you go up to people, you shake their hand, you be nice to them, just kind of like you did your your whole time in office yeah, and before that, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, being, being an outsider, like I was just looking in, you know, I always loved sports and I started watching y'all when you was probably five or six years old and we went right on through the years, you know, and you were going to school at Clinton then, but then you transferred back to Southside when you got in the ninth grade. And we just continued watching you right on through your senior year. And y'all gave us some big thrills, I tell you what. Yeah. Some big thrills. And and the two of you together won a state ring, didn't you? On that, yeah. You were you were one of the runners that ran on that uh where you hand off the baton, you know. Oh yeah, we did. Oh yeah, yeah. the track track and yeah. field. <laughs> yeah. Base, he baseball. Won, he won the hundred and ten meter hurdle. A, a state ring, and then you and him and and uh, Lewis ran the uh, four four forty. Yeah, and so, and Zach Caps was also. Oh, on Zach that. was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, okay. we did the we did the four by four or no, about the four by one hundred relay. Yeah, was you in on that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was. Anyway, you know, we went up to Hastings and had a. They presented all those rings and everything. You know. Yeah. Those are, those are good good memories. Yeah, it is. Good memories, good times. And we talked about this. We had one of our close friends on uh, Paxton's wife now, her name Whitney Scott, was Whitney Wade. And and she she made a great point about how like team efforts, whether they be sports or any type of extracurricular thing, it builds a it builds a lot of character and it goes a lot deeper than just the the event yeah it, it builds relationships it builds character with within your individual self and it makes memories that you you won't ever forget so well i'm pretty sure i have a picture of you five sitting in a convertible on my on my icebox you know of yeah. On, yeah. On johnny roof. johnny Harmon, one of johnny Harmon's cars yeah yeah you were all five sitting in that convertible yeah. <laughs> that's funny well uh we we like to end every podcast because it is 
it's uh 522 right now we got to get you out of here by 530 so you can go go play your gig and make those old ladies dance tonight yeah, you know let them <laughs> let them dance yeah, yeah. <laughs> i still like to play and they like to dance yeah so. that's one thing that doesn't change yeah but one thing that we like to ask um if somebody were to never hear your voice again, as far as our listeners on the podcast, what would be one thing that you would kind of want to leave them with that you would want to say? Golly, I don't know. I don't know. Just uh, old Sammy, you know, Sammy Collins, and he's the same old Sammy as he was 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, whether it's a piece, of, a piece of advice that you give somebody or just I don't know. Just leave leave our audience with something. Well, I I really can't say exact exactly what to do except what I did. I always tried to be nice to everybody, and that's the only reason I was successful in politics is because I was nice to everybody. And I think it, you know it, it don't cost you any more to be nice to somebody than it does to be, you know, hateful. Put, yeah, hateful or putrid or what do you want to call it? But anyway. If you be nice to people, and and they'll appreciate you more if you're nice to them, you know. Yeah. Hey. And I just I've always I've always looked at it that way. And when I was in the clerk's office, I don't care if if somebody come in and I knew they were against me when I ran, I'd shake hands with them and greet them just like if they were my best friend, you know. Yeah. And a lot of times it change. Yeah. <laughs> Vote for me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm down with that though. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Well, Grandpa, I love you dearly. Thank you for coming on the podcast. There's a there's an excitement uh with this podcast. I feel like a lot of people are gonna have when it comes out because it's it's not every day that you're you're able to talk to a an eighty six year old fixing to be eighty seven here in a couple of weeks. Uh, man that is as as mentally clear and can remember things like you do and on top of that has done and seen uh, whether it be traveling the world going to war playing music running for uh, county clerk and getting into politics it's it's a unique uh, lens that we we kind of give our audience to look through so we really appreciate you coming on well i appreciate y'all inviting me in and uh... yeah. If I didn't have to go play music tonight, well, we could visit a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah. I'm glad you got to come on. I was looking forward to it. I just love hearing the stories, man. I was just letting you guys go. I didn't say much. I was just sitting here listening. You know, yeah. I felt like I was just reading a book or something. <laughs> yeah. We, we, uh, this kind of reminded me having grandpa on. We, we need to have Marvin on sometime. If he if he's if he's cool with it and able, yeah, we'll see if he can. Yeah, we'll I don't. I haven't can. seen I haven't seen Marvin in a long time, and I bet that man's got a lot of stories too. He has a lot of stories. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh -huh. anyways, um, you can find me on Instagram at Gary the Great ninety six, and on Snapchat at Gary G A I R Y, and you can find me on Instagram at Will underscore Pennington zero zero. And on Twitter at the Scavenger Twenty Three, Mister Sam. <laughs> any any social media? <laughs> he he's still rocking the old flip phone. <laughs> you can find him That's at B Branch it. if you're looking you can, for yeah, him. Find him at B Branch on the same lot he was born and raised. That's right. <laughs> Different house though. <laughs> Different house. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, that being said, Gary out later. <laughs>